Last Sunday we started a message called that Christ is the believer's all. And uh, the Lord gave us liberty in preaching and, and uh, blessed our hearts with exposition of the scripture, which is in deep exposition, but just talking about Christ is the wonderful thing. So this morning we're going to talk about Christ head over all things. Turn to Ephesians 1, look at verse 22. Ephesians 1. In fact, let's start reading with verse 16, and that will show us that this is all included in the prayer of Paul for these Ephesians. And uh, the description of Christ being, he finishes it with that Christ filleth all in all. But start with verse 16. Cease not to give thanks for you. He says this about, the, well, verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is part of the prayer now. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Christ the head over all things is the title of our message this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, thy word is precious. If we had no more in our service than just reading thy word, it would have been a glorious, wonderful service. For thy word is everlasting. Thy word is the word of God. It's the word of God to the hearts of needy sinners, and we thank you for it. Ask you to bless those here who are reading and who are hearing. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. While we're right there in Ephesians 1, we uh, are kind of amazed. Our Lord, the head over all things. You know, the head has to have a body. And the Bible speaks about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he is the head, then we are his body according to the scriptures. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 
12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. All the members, everyone that Christ died for, are called members of his body. Everyone that uh, God the Father gave to the eternal Son back in eternity gave to him as a love gift. All of those are his body. And that's the way the scriptures explain it. Christ is the head over all things. And it says to the church, which is his body. See how it says that? To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all and in all. The head without a body is not a living thing. A head has to have a body and a body has to have a head. But what governs the body, the head always does. But even to make it more personal, stay in Ephesians and look at Ephesians 5.30. Ephesians 5.30. It's just more than eyes, I mean, just it's just more than arms, hands, feet, legs. It says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now that's getting very deeply involved. It's as deeply involved as a husband and a wife. It says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. The two shall be one flesh. We are called one flesh, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, with the Lord Jesus Christ through redemption. Now isn't that an amazing, an amazing thing? Well, if Christ is head over all things, then he certainly has to be the object of our faith. Turn to Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. This is a wonderful scripture. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, uh, he is the object of our faith. We haven't got anybody or any other thing to look to. A lot of folks look to their pastor or look to their church or to their denomination. So many, many people look to their mother, to their daddy, to just anybody. You can't do that for redemption, for eternal life. We must Look unto Jesus. Now, this name Jesus, just exactly what does it mean? We'll turn to Matthew 121. Hold your place there in Hebrews, but look at Matthew 121. Here's where the name comes from and what it means. And she shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. What's the reason for it? For he shall save his people 
from their sins. Save his people. Brother Mushmack, that's the scripture of that little book I just gave you this morning too. That's where that's from. That's what it's going to be about. He shall save his people from their sins. Okay? Uh, that's who Jesus is. The author and finisher of our faith. Turn to Isaiah 45:22. We have another parallel scripture. Our scripture there said, uh, looking unto Jesus. Well, here's one that the Lord in the Old Testament, who happens to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 45:22 says, look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Now, is there a different God in the Old Testament than there is in the New? Not at all. The same Lord Jesus Christ will save in the Old Testament as he does in the New. When he says in the Old Testament, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. Over in Hebrews it says, Looking unto Jesus, that is our God. He's the one that the ends of the earth have to look to because he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that God has set up to be our idol. You know, the Bible says we're not to be idol worshipers. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ is the idol that we worship. He is the express image of God. So we worship him. We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Revelation says he is the Alpha and the Omega. In our English language, we would say he's the A to Z as far as we're concerned about faith. Now let's turn and find out if you're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher, where do you look for starters? Well, you can look in your Bible. You'll find him lifted up all the way through it. Look at John 5:39. John 5:39. We'll find the Lord Jesus Christ very uh, wonderfully giving us instruction without the human element of braggadocia. When we talk about some things concerning ourselves, we generally have a spirit of bragging. Well, that's not it. Our Lord Jesus Christ is informing us for our benefit. He says, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He is not saying that eternal life is not in there. He is saying that he is, and if you come to him, you will have life. Because the next verse says, and you will not come to me that you might have life, meaning eternal life. So those that come to him have eternal life, and those that don't come to him do not have life. But where do you find it? In scriptures. This is the only place in the world where you can find knowledge of Christ. If you go to some church somewhere 
and he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The one talking to you has received his information from the scriptures. This is God's wonderful gift to humanity, his word. Search the scriptures. You know, that's not normal for people to do that. You didn't do it as a kid. I didn't do it as a kid. Very few people do it as adults. Actually searching the scriptures to find the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in there, okay? All right, now let's see where we are here. Uh, now turn to uh, uh, the rest of that verse over there in Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I have no idea what enduring the cross and despising the shame means. It is just beyond our comprehension, and when we have our new bodies and our fresh, sinless souls that have fresh, sinless minds, we'll be able to hold on to and to comprehend more of the truth of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ for us. Well, Christ head over all things, and he is the light to direct us. Turn to John 8, 12. John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The problem with people is, is that they do not recognize darkness. Darkness to them is light. The more things that a person knows and a person learns and a person does and a person accomplishes only makes their darkness darker. All achievements done in the flesh only make their darkness darker. People don't know they walk in darkness. Why? Because there is only one light in the world, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am the light of the world. If anyone has any light, it's because they have a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light. Uh, look at uh, uh, chapter 3 in John, verse 19. And it tells us one of the reasons why people walk in darkness. It says, and this is the condemnation, the verse just above it said that everybody's condemned who are not believers in Christ. Everybody sitting on condemnation row, millions upon millions and millions of people condemned because they do not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But he said in verse 19, this is the condemnation 
that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Men love the darkness and they don't know it's darkness. They think it's noontime with them. Uh, that's the sad plight of humanity. But there's a reason for it. Oh, there's a real reason for it. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He says, I am the light. So here it is, it's speaking about the gospel of Christ shining in. So the gospel is light. And when people refuse the gospel, they refuse the light. Their souls remain in darkness. They can talk about religious things. They can talk about worldly things. They think they have much light on much things. And they walk in darkness because they don't have the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this gospel is so important that people who refuse the gospel, just refuse the truth of the gospel, will be tormented day and night forever and ever in the lake of fire. That's the judgment to them. And look at Second Second Thessalonians to show it to you in actual words. You know, a lot of times people think, oh, you're just trying to scare us or trying to make things sound worse than what they are. No, I'm not. Uh, first Thess- Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, well, that part you could understand, that if they know not God and they're not believers, but this second part, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that second part is added on there because there's going to be people that say, oh, we know God. We have always known God from our childhood up. Ah, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But look at in chapter 2 and verse 10, speaking of the condemnation of those that receive not the love of the truth. My, that, that's even going further than just not obeying the gospel. They don't even love to hear it. And with all, in verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth. Now listen, the love of the truth has to be put there by God's Holy Spirit. And when a person has a love of the truth, they have a hungering and thirsting after righteousness, they can't stay away. If the truth is being preached somewhere, they're going to go to hear it. If it's on tape, they will listen. If they can't do that, they will read the scriptures or read a good book and they'll be continually involved in searching after and listening to the truth of the gospel. That is having a love of the truth.
Well, that's enough for our Lord being light right now. I guess we could go on. Christ, head over all things, then he's a shepherd to follow. Look at John 10.27. John 10.27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Well, a good commentary on that verse is in verse 4 of the same chapter. Verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ has a flock. They belong to him. Other shepherds have their own flock but they do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They belong to somebody else. That's why he says, when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but they will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Isn't that great? Turn to Matthew 24 and look at verse 24. Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. It will show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. But you understand that that is impossible. Not one of God's elect will be deceived. Or they can be sidetracked. They can be waylaid. They can be mugged along the way. But they will not be deceived. God's Spirit will lead them right through to the end. Those that he loved, he loved to the end. So he's a shepherd to follow okay then our Lord Jesus Christ being head over all things is a prize to win in this life everything is a contest if it's not a contest it appears to be no fun but life itself is one large contest with a prize to be won look at Philippians 3.8 turn to Philippians 3.8 8 through 14. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now that is a great statement in itself. We have a colon there that stops us. It's worth thinking about. All things but loss. What would all things include? All things would include your closest loved ones. A lot of folks lose their closest loved ones. Women lose husbands. Husbands lose wives. Children lose parents. Sometimes parents lose children. You lose friends. 
you could lose your job. You could lose all the security that you have in the world. Paul says, forget it. I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Just knowing about him. Well, the more you know about him, the more you want to know. And knowing Christ, not just about him, but knowing Christ is eternal life. And that's what Paul is saying. Let's go on. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. So he did lose it all. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I have often wondered, did Paul lose a family? He never speaks of a wife. He never speaks of children. But he does speak of thorn in the side. Nobody knows what that thorn is. It could have been the dearest one to him. It could have been his wife. Who knows? I don't. He says, but he did suffer the loss of all things. But in comparison to knowing and having the knowledge of Christ there, but done. That I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Our Lord Jesus Christ earned that perfect righteousness. Even though he went through a horrible, terrible, terrifying session in the Garden of Gethsemane, when God began to abandon him and he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Why did he have to repeat that over and over three times? Because God wasn't listening. He was being isolated. By faith, he was approaching God on our behalf. He was offering his soul. The Lord Jesus Christ, with soul offering, sweat great drops of blood. Think about the terrible agony going on in his heart, in his soul, in the depths of his very being, because God was not listening. He was isolated. He was a stone's throw away from the disciples. That's the distance, close enough that they could see, close enough that they could hear, but not close enough that they could enter in to help him one bit. All they did was sleep. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ was a human being in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was demonstrating his faith that turned out to be for our righteousness. That's why it says the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Our Lord Jesus Christ earned eternal life for us. And then verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Our Lord Jesus Christ with a face and a head like flint, went right through to his death, never shirking, knowing that this death 
had to be a substitutionary death for his body, for the members of his body, for the church, for his bride, all of these things. And in order to show you that his faith prevailed, that it was successful, he was resurrected from the dead, and that's why Paul mentions that again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, God's acceptance of all that our Lord Jesus Christ did for his sheep. Verse 11, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. No, life isn't over yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I told you there was a prize to win. Our Lord Jesus Christ is that prize. And then there's more. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ. Won't it be wonderful when you're there on award day, on that day of resurrection when he comes back and opens the graves of believers and changes the bodies of living believers and we as trophies of his grace go to be with him forevermore. What a wonderful prize. The race will then be over. Well, in the same light, in the very same light, there's not only a prize to win as there is a goal to reach. We obtain the prize when we have reached the goal. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run ye that ye may obtain. That is a strange scripture to put in, to have in the scriptures because races are things that the world is very much concerned with. Who sets the record? Who races? Who wins the, the skating races? Who wins the running races? He said there's a lot of folks in a race. We watched the Olympics just not too long ago, and they would have several heats. They would have four people running, skating, and then they'd have four more skating, and then they'd have four more, and then they would take the best two out of those two and then race them again. There are many that run in the race, but only one comes out first. Paul is saying, run then, give it your all that ye may be the one to obtain the prize. Look at Hebrews 12.1. He's talking to you again about a race. Hebrews 12.1. We've already read 12.2. But 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Well, you can't have weights on when you're running. You've got to have the very lightest of clothing 
and the lightest of shoes and shoes made especially with soles that either have spikes or gripping material to give you the best grip possible when you're running. But you can't carry any weight. And when you're running the race to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't carry sin with you. You can't have a little packet of sin on your back just one little special one that you like better than any of the others, or not even a packet. Maybe just put it in your hip pocket, just a little bitty one. No, you've got to get rid of all weights. You run to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're running a race of eternity. We're not running for time. We're running for eternity. Well, let's have one more scripture because we started just a little bit late uh, Christ head over all things he is the suffering one for us turn to Isaiah 53 look at verse 3 Isaiah 53 3 he even does the suffering for us But you see, the suffering that he does is the suffering for our sin debt. The sin debt that we have accrued is an eternal sin debt. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, and God's strict justice says, I stand by my word. So every single soul that sins is subject to eternal death. And so only those that have a substitute that can pay the sin debt that God requires and the price for sin is pure, spotless, sinless blood. God set that price upon that object or upon that element or thing called sin. Not a tangible thing, not something you can see, it's a spiritual thing. It's committed in our lives and it's against God. And there's only one remedy or payment for sin. Big sins, little sins, all sins. That's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, let's start reading here about the one who suffered in our place. Start with verse 3. In verse chapter 53, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now, these transgressions and iniquities aren't something we've done to other people. This is our rebellion and sin against God. That's our transgression. That's our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. You see substitution there? Do you see God the Father accepting our sin being laid upon the Lord Jesus, him being punished for it? The Father did that. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a wonderful, suffering, conquering, praying, interceding, advocating, mediator our Lord Jesus Christ is for us. When our scripture said he's head over all things, he certainly is. All power has been given to him in heaven and earth as the man, Christ Jesus, our mediator. That's why you can come to him with everything and he'll surely bless you for doing it. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this gospel message this morning, especially the reading of thy word, how precious it is. Every verse we ever read, more precious to our heart each and every time. Blessed to these people and these that will hear by tape, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You're all dismissed.